Thank you for watching our Cedar Hill YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the works of the Father and the assignment that Jesus has given to each one of us. <laughs> there is no such thing in the Bible as casual Christianity. There's no half in, half out measure in the kingdom of God. You're all in. It's everything or nothing. It's kind of like marriage. I've used this example before, but I'll use it again. When I got married to Karina, and it was a glorious, glorious day, um, we prayed for a beautiful sunny day, and it was, I was in a black suit with a waistcoat and tails, and I thought, it's the middle of winter, it's going to be beautiful. We waited for half an hour for Karine extra to show up. She sat on some lipstick, and uh, so they had to clean that out. <laughs> I thought, maybe, maybe she's done a runner. I don't know. You know, I had Mike there. He was marrying us. At least I could get canceling, free counseling right here. Um, but I was waiting for her to come. But when we stood at that altar and we got married, I did not say, I didn't say I do to Corrine and Betty and Jill and Susan and my, I, one person for life. And marriage mirrors the picture of our union with Christ. No casual Christianity. We're all on a mission. We're all on an assignment. God has called you, and you have, been, you have been drafted in to the family of God. You have been brought in to the household of faith. You have been made one in the commonwealth of promise. You have been brought into fellowship with Christ, and you have been filled with His Spirit, we'll talk about. And you have been released as the glory of God on the earth to bring about His plan, His purpose, His mission. That's the reality. No casual Christianity. No second-class Christians. And so I just got to be careful. I don't want you to like feel like, oh, I'm not, you know, because what happens when we talk about these things? I'm not qualified. I don't know as much as you, Pastor. I can't quote the scriptures like that person. I don't even know where to find that in the Bible. That's not the point. I want to say this as we go off. This word is infallible. It is the rock on which we build our lives. But it has been given to us for one reason: to have an encounter with the Author. Too much cerebral Christianity, all in our brains, all in our minds. No, this word has been given to have a living, loving, radical encounter with the living Father. That's what it is. The Bible says, Jesus makes this beautiful claim. Everybody in the room knows it. He says, I am the way and the life. And then he says, and no one comes into heaven but by me. Is that what it says? What does it say? No one comes but by, but by me, or through me. It's through Jesus. What is this word? This word, this written word, is the, it's the, Jesus was the incarnate word. He became the word made flesh. Jesus came to model what it would look like to have every obstacle removed and have unbroken fellowship with the Father, with the God of all creation, who was now making the most crazy claim that he was not going to just be Jesus' Father, but he was going to be yours. Wow. You remember the moment at the tomb where Jesus is bending down in the book of John and he's attending to something. Mary, Mary Magdalene, who goes to the tomb to see, he, she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. It's not offensive to Jesus in that moment. This is not an offense, oh, Jesus is just the gardener. No, it's a throwback to the Garden of Eden. What was the assignment given to Adam? Tend the garden. Tend the garden. Who is Jesus, the last Adam? Finished in class. 
In him, he comes to reorder everything that was put out of order. And she notices him, and Jesus goes over to her, and he says these beautiful words. He says, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. She says, but go and tell the disciples that I'm going to my Father and their Father. I'm going to my God and their God. You see, what Jesus does is he comes and he says, I need to show you the way back home. And home is the Father. I love what John Piper says. John Piper asked this question. I ask it of you today. If heaven was everything you dreamt it was, everything, all your family, everyone you love, it was going to be without any kind of, I mean, no anxiety, no worry, no fear, no thieves, everything, everything perfect, absolutely everything you wanted, food forever, you know, the best, on, on best cool drink on tap or whatever, everything is there, every need met for all of eternity, but Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit would not be there, would you still go? You see, the reality is we've made heaven a place when actually it's a person. Yes, there is a physical place. Don't misquote me now. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but home is the Father. Home is the Father. And Jesus does it. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. He's saying, I'm the gate, and, and I'm the gate to the Father. And he reinstitutes this life with the Father, and we come home to the Father. But Jesus, when he comes on the earth, he begins to model a new reality for you and I. And he says to us, listen, I'm going to model to you what it looks like for a son, a son of God, to be in a right, righteous relationship with the Father. What that would look like. I'm going to model that for you over the next three and a half years. And I want you to take your cue from me. Jesus modeled what it would look like to be a son of the Father so that you and I could take on that reality. And so we are to learn from Jesus. We are to follow Jesus so that we can look to the Father and ultimately become like the Father. Hey, carry his heart, carry his love, carry his life. But the Father has a purpose for your life. He has a mission for your life. Go with me quickly to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Some of these things may seem uh, foundational this morning. They are. But they're the realities that God has called us to live in. <laughs> I have a sweet in my mouth and I just forgot about it. Like, it's, listen, you know, at school, you can't talk with bubble gum in your mouth. It's not bubble gum, but it is a sweet. I'm thinking, like, probably flaring a little bit. So I apologize. I don't want to try to swallow it now because I might choke. And then you, so I'm just going to carry on with that. But listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 8. It says, therefore, do not be like them. This is talking about prayer and how to pray. For your Father knows the things you have need of them before you ask Him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that reassuring? That when you go to the Father and while you're on your way, you're thinking, how should I ask Him? You know, how can I put this so that, it, you know, that, he, that, he, that, that, that he agrees with me? That's not what you're trying to do in prayer. It's trying to twist, twist God's arm. He already knows the need that you have. And in knowing it, He's provided. Isn't that a comfort? So when we go to the Father, oh, Papa, you know, you know. So we've been given this, this, this assignment. So he goes on to say, in this manner, therefore pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I've got to quickly make this, this observation. It's saying, our Father who is in heaven. I think this is a perspective none of us can afford to lose. And I want to say to you this morning, we are not living heavenward. We are living earthward. We are not living heavenward, we're living earthward. 
the, the, the perspective that Jesus is trying to give us here is he's saying, where is your father? He's in heaven. In a moment of time, Jesus is going to reestablish things. In him, we're going to be raised to life, seated in heavenly places. And he's saying, listen, you need to not lose this from your life, that you rule and reign with the father from heaven. You are earthward. Whatever it is you're doing in the earth, you're doing from the perspective of being one with Christ. You're doing this from the perspective of victory. You're doing this because this is assignment. Heaven is invading earth. That's the reality. That's the place that we live from. So he says, our Father on heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he says this beautiful phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. How? As it is in heaven. Again, to clarify that point, God is trying to get heaven to earth. His mission is to move earthward. His plan is to invade this place. That's why you and I cannot be overcome by fear and worry and anxiety when we look into the world and we see it's a mess. We cannot for a moment begin to agree with the enemy that somehow he has reign and rule. No, we have got to live in a place of going, I am bringing heaven this way and my mandate, the mission for my life is to continue for heaven here. Not only in my life, but in your life. As we pray for one another, as we fast together, as we go after the things of God together, it's so that heaven would invade this place. The mission that the Father has us on is that. So I'm going to change gears just a little bit. I want to read you a scripture found in John 10, 37. I'm going to read to you another scripture found in 1 John 3, verse 8. And we're going to crack on. I'm going to pray after that, and we're going to crack on. What's the time? I've got some time. Let's, these are the two scriptures. John 10, 37 says this. It says, Jesus speaking, he says, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. He's saying, I put my credibility, who I am, on this reality. I'm doing the works of the Father. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, as we look at your scriptures, that our hearts would come alive with the reality of the assignment that you have given us. And that our hearts would be filled with a faith, for what lays before us. That, Lord, we would, we would give ourselves wholeheartedly, not to casual Christianity, but we'd give ourselves to, the, to this life in Jesus, this bold, courageous, full, adventurous life in Jesus to do the things that you've called us to without apprehension, without fear, full of courage, full of boldness, full of tenacity in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. So Jesus, a little bit about who he was. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament specifically, there are, I think there are around 700 prophetic words about the coming Messiah. So remember the Israelites, they lived before the cross and they were, they were, they were living with the hope that God was going to send a Messiah, he would send somebody. But in the, in the Old Testament, there are, there are about 700, I think, and then there are just over 300 specific prophecies about who Jesus, Jesus would be. And these prophecies were spoken over hundreds of years. In fact, probably 1,500 years. These were prophetic utterances, prophetic statements that would be bringing Jesus into the world, into the universe, to set right everything that had been set wrong in the garden. 
And I just want to read to you some of them. The Bible says in Isaiah, it says that he would be a great light, that he'd be called a Nazarene, he'd come from Nazareth, that he would perform miracles, Isaiah 35 tells us, that he would come riding in on a donkey, Zechariah tells us. It says um, he would be forsaken, pierced, and he would be vindicated. This is spoken of in Psalm 22 and in, in Zechariah 12. It says he would bring in a new covenant, Jeremiah tells us. Isaiah again tells us that he would bear our sins as a suffering servant and that he would take our place. The psalmist writes in Psalm 168, verse 11, that he would be resurrected. So all these powerful prophetic words that were ushered in. Now the Israelites lived in the hope of these words manifesting. The nation of Israel, at the time that Jesus came, lived under the apartheid regime of the Roman Empire. Let's contextualize it for South Africans. They lived under the rule and control of a wicked, wicked empire. I was watching the Italians play rugby the other day, and I was thinking to myself, man, these people ruled most of the world for 500 years. <laughs> they did. And they ruled it with an iron fist of tyranny and terror. And they ruled in this nation. And I don't think there was a time in the history of the Israelites that they mourned more for the coming of the Christ than in that season. And yet when he came, they missed him. And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, there's been all these prophecies about who I am and what I would do and who and, and all these kinds of things. But he says in, in John 10, 37, he says to the Israelites, he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. Jesus puts everything on the line for miracles, for encounter with the heavenly father. He said, I have come to manifest the father to you. I have come to introduce you to the Father. I have come to reveal to you the will of the Father. You're sick, it's not His will, be healed. You've been taken captive by death, that's not the will of the Father, be raised to life. Lazarus, come forth. You're blind? No, 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 that's not the will of the Father. That's not how God created these things. See, in the name of Jesus. You're deaf and you can't hear? Ears be open. Jesus came and he manifested the will of the Father. And he said, if you are going to look for any kind of credibility in my life, this is where I lay it down. This is the works of the Father, miracles, signs, and wonders. He said, if I do not do the works of the Father, do not believe me. Now, his ultimate work was what? To go to the cross, eh? His ultimate work was to lay his life down. And this is where our assignment begins. We get a clue from the life of Jesus. Remember, we're learning from Jesus how to, follow the, how, to, how to be a son, how to live for the Father by following who Jesus was. And so essentially, the new life for us doesn't start when Jesus begins his ministry, when he comes out of the water and the Father declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes, he begins his earthly ministry in that sense, but what he came to do begins with a trial, a crucifixion, a death, and a burial. And the kingdom of God is born out of the resurrection of Christ. Life comes. And we find Jesus in a garden. And Jesus is about to take on your sin and my sin. He's about to take on the, the, the ravages of sinful living. He's about to take on guilt, shame, sickness, and disease of every kind. Not just for the people in that moment in history, but for all mankind. Every man and woman that would ever live, all of their sin would be put onto him. And he's in that garden, sweating blood. And he says to the Father, man, if there is any other way, if there is another way that we can do this, Father, if, if there is some other way, then take this cup from me. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, Jesus' assignment of unraveling all of the mess of the enemy, destroying every work of satanic dominion over this earth, begins to happen because he yielded his life, he surrendered his life, he laid down his life in full submission to the will of the Father. 
as I've been thinking about this portion of Scripture this week, and uh, I was kind of thinking how we can live our lives and we choose to do our own will. And what we do is we become a resistor to the will of the Father. So I was trying to get some clarity. Maybe I should have spoken to Rian, but I was speaking to Marvin. We are chatting on the phone. And we become this thing where there's this, there's this flow of the, of the goodness of God, the will of the Father, but we become a resistor. And it's almost like we move from zero to minus 100 and we resist the Father. And he's trying to bring his goodness and he's trying to bring his glory and he's trying to do something through us and he's trying to work in our lives. And we resist him because of us choosing to do our own thing, our, living our own will. But what happened in the garden was Jesus made the resistance zero. He laid his life down, took up the cup of the Father, and he said, Lord, none of me will get in the way of what you want to do. Your mission starts with you saying, Father, no more casual Christianity. No more me doing my own thing. Father, no more me up to my own business. Father, I lay it down to serve you and to serve your ways. And Jesus modeled that for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, your will be done, not mine. He had all these amazing prophetic words spoken of his life, but he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the works of the Father. Miracles, signs, and wonders, but that work begins at that cross where he lays down his life. And this is the will of the Father for you, that you would surrender, submit your will to him. Now, at that moment, Jesus was in fear. He was going to be strung up on a cross. But the Bible says he endured it for the joy that was set before him. I wonder what began to take place as he began to sweat blood. Maybe the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit filled that garden. And all of a sudden, his heart began to be filled with a sense of joy. He began to see you and me. He began to see the church and the wonder of what God would do in the earth. He began to see people saved and lives transformed and cities transformed because of the glory of heaven that would begin to invade the earth because he laid down his life. I pray this morning that you would begin to see the glory of heaven released through you as you lay down your life. I pray that you would begin to realize that there are people that are waiting for you on the other side of your obedience. There is a sick person that needs to be touched by you because you carry the glory and the presence of heaven. Because you choose to lay down your life and allow your life to offer no resistance to the will of the Father. Like, Lord, I want to get out of the way. And I want you to have your way. And I want you to show up, Lord. And I want you to do glorious things because you're mighty and powerful and wonderful. That's what I want. Backtracking the story a little bit, Jesus is 12 years old. It's the first time we hear anything about him and what he's doing. And the story we find Jesus in, in this portion of scripture, we see in Luke 12. And Jesus is taken by uh, Joseph and his mom, Mary, uh, that he's taken to Jerusalem. And they're obviously taken there for one of the feasts. I, I, I didn't read the full chapters. I'm not, I can't remember which one it was, but if it was the Passover, what was. But they go there and uh, they do what they need to do. And Joseph and Mary decide it's time to go home and they leave. A few days into the journey, <laughs> ever had that moment in checkers? <laughs> hey, where are the kids? I don't know. I'm sure they were with you. What do you mean? Oh, I thought they were with you. Okay, we've lost children. How can two grown adults lose children? Okay, it happens, people. It happens to Jesus' parents, right? So Joseph and Mary lose Jesus. They, they, oh, in, a, in a flat panic, they make their way back to, to Jerusalem. And there they find Jesus in the temple. And he is, he is expounding on the word of God, marveling the Pharisees that are there. And Jesus says something so beautiful and so profound and so glorious in Luke 2, verse 49, because they're asking, what are you doing? And he said to them, this is what Jesus said. He says, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I, I, you know, I just think back to my father. You know, if, if, my, if I'd said that to my dad when he was looking for me in checkers, I think I might have Lost an eye or something. You know. <laughs> but Jesus is not being facetious. 
He's not being disrespectful. In fact, I love what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says, Jesus in this moment is trying to teach his parents a lesson. He's trying to give them a hint at the priority of their lives and his. You see, your life and my life should be lived around the priority of his business. What is the will of the Father for my life? God, what do you want from me? How do I live for you? And so Jesus tries to teach this lesson, in a sense, to his parents. And when he begins his earthly ministry with his disciples, he does the same thing. I want to take you to three scriptures quickly. Go with me to John, John chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19 and verse 13, and then we're going to jump over to John 8. Jesus is saying to his parents, and he teaches his disciples. Here in John, we see how he teaches his disciples. But he says to them, hey guys, this is the priority of your life. Be about your father's business. And he's modeling this to them. So this is what it says there in John 5, verse 19. Out of the King James, New King James. He says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son, the Son, me, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that there were over 300 specific prophetic words about, the one that is coming into the world to save everybody, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus is modeling to them the priority of their lives. Father, the priority of my life is to do your will. And I get to do your will by seeing you. Seeing you. The moment we attend to the scriptures, (laughs) this word is alive and powerful shaping the destinies, not just of some people, all people. This word is the final word on all that will go down. It doesn't matter what you do, what you accomplish, and how much you accomplish doing. It it doesn't matter if it doesn't align with the Father's will for your life that you be born again in Christ and begin to attend to His. It counts for nothing. I'm sorry, friend. You can spend all your life building that multi-million rand business. It'll count for nothing. You can get 10 degrees and a doctorate. It'll count for nothing. If you're not in Christ, it'll count for nothing. If you're not found in love, it'll count for nothing. And Jesus sets the priority of their lives as he models it in his life. And he says, I am about my father's business. And what he does, I do. Jump down to verse 30. John 5 verse 30, it says, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is so powerful. Jesus is saying, I subject my will to the will of the Father. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah that when Jesus comes, that he would judge with a righteous judgment because he wouldn't judge with the seeing of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, but with a righteous judgment he would judge. Isn't that beautiful? I love what the Father spoke to Samuel as he was anointing David. He says, man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. God judges in a righteous way, in a glorious, righteous way. And Jesus is just saying, I'm here on the assignment of the Father. And what I do, what I consider right and what I consider wrong, how I'm building my life is because the Father has, has willed this thing. And Christian, you and I, our lives begin in a garden. <laughs> the garden of surrender. The garden of laying down our lives. The, go- the garden of choosing His will over ours. It doesn't start anywhere else. Go with me to John 8, 29. 
John 8, 29, Jesus says a similar thing. He says, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Isn't that beautiful? The priority of our lives are to be pleasing to the Father because we have laid down our lives to serve his will. And in the laying down of our lives, in fact, what you will find is the most glorious, glorious life to be lived. There's nothing more wonderful than living for his pleasure. There's nothing more wonderful than living for his purpose. There is nothing more wonderful than living for him. I love Reinhard Bonnke and um, got to read his life story, the life story of Reinhard Bonnke. It's this really thick book that I devoured over a, over a week. Just, I was just mesmerized by his life. And I remember finishing that book. It was like three o'clock in the morning. I was reading with the light. Karina was fast asleep. And I remember closing that book. I had my knees up. I put it on my legs. And I thought this thought. I thought, oh my goodness, Lord. Hollywood could not have written a more adventurous script for a person's life than what this man has just lived. You purposed this life for Rano Bonke. He has some of the most outrageous, glorious, magnificent stories of God delivering, God healing, God setting free, God bringing him in and out of places, doing the most glorious. Why? Because Ronald Bunky considered his life not his own and laid it down for the service of the king. He laid it down for the service of the king. Now, I run the risk here this morning, preaching like this, that all of a sudden you begin to think that my life needs to be lived out in ministry. No. I want to clarify that very quickly. No. <laughs> Following the Father may look like for you being in business. For others of you, it may look like raising children. We are grateful for John Wesley, the great reformer. But we are more grateful for his mom. <laughs> who taught him to love Jesus. Taught him the power of prayer. Taught both him and his brother the wonder of worship. A woman who served her 17 children. Just think for a moment. Think of that. 17. This, this weekend, our three children went to my sister. My sister picked them up on Friday and they were there the whole weekend. I want to tell you, it was, it was lovely. <laughs> when I got up on Saturday morning, I was like, what should we do? No screeching from the... Me. We got up, we went and got coffee, we walked on the beach. It was amazing. <laughs> Completely lost my point. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> where was I? Where was I? Help me. Sorry? John Wesley, his beautiful mom. 17 children, I've got three. Imagine having 17. Stop imagining. <laughs> but we're grateful to John Wesley's mom. Why? Because she lived out her calling. She lived a passionate life in love with Jesus in front of her 17 children. And they couldn't help themselves but to follow the God that she modeled. Don't for a minute think because my reference, my world is ministry world, that that's how you used to live your life. No, just live in obedience to the Father. Humble obedience to the Father, to His will for your life. Encounter Him every day in the Word of God. Read it, not so that you can learn something about God, but that you can experience something about the Heavenly Father. So that you can live with him. It's one thing to know about his peace cerebrally. It's one thing to know that God brings peace. It's another thing to be in a moment when you're desperate for it. And all of a sudden you're flooded with peace. Yeah. It's the reality of his presence. 
of his nearness. It's who he is. God's called us to live in that reality. He's called us to live in that place, in that glorious and beautiful place. We must be about our Father's business. We have two more scriptures. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, and we'll start at verse 18. So we're called to surrender our lives, lay down, serve His will. And then what happens is God sends you on a mission, He sends you on assignment, and He fills you with His Spirit. So let's read this scripture here, Matthew 20, it says, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Isn't that amazing? All authority is with Jesus. I love what so many preachers say. If all authority is with Jesus, it means someone is without any authority. If he has all authority, that means the enemy has none. And if Jesus has, has all authority, look what he's about to do with all his authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, don't worry about, don't worry about who's in charge here. <laughs> don't worry about who's in charge. I am. Just go. Go, therefore, in my name. Go in my power. Go in my glory. Go in my name. Go. Go do it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Don't you just want to underline that? I don't know. You know, all of a sudden I feel like I've taught this before. I have. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teaching you them to observe all things. I want to have a look at some of the things that Jesus taught his disciples because he was setting a priority for their lives and he's setting a priority for our lives. Would you agree with me? He set the priority of laying down your life and serving the Father and doing his will. We agree. Jesus set that by modeling it. He came and lived it. That's why later on in, in Philippians, Paul could write, this name has been given above every name because he's laid down his life. He's, he's surrendered his life unto death, right? So let's see what Jesus taught his disciples. Go with me to Matthew 10. We're gonna look at Matthew 10, 1 and Matthew 10, 7 and 8, last scripture for the day, finished in 10, 10 or so minutes. So Jesus sends us on this assignment. It's the mission of heaven to invade earth. He's drafted us into his kingdom army, and he sent us on that assignment. The assignment begins in a garden, a garden of surrender, a garden of yielding and laying down your life to the will of the Father. But with that comes great glory and power. Jesus laid down his life, but he was getting ready to kick death in the teeth. <laughs> he laid down his life. Man, you can only imagine what the devil was thinking. Hey, oh, we got him. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I imagined when I saw myself seated above his throne. This is what I was thinking about when I was telling all those angels in and around the corridors, come with me, baby, it's gonna look good. We're gonna rule this place. And he had his moment with Jesus. He thought he had him knocked down and beaten. And he was put up on that cross and he was buried in that tomb. But man, he didn't know what was about to happen. The Bible says in Colossians that if he had known, if he had sniffed what the father was up to, if he had had any idea at all, the Bible says he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because when he nailed Jesus to the cross, he nailed himself in a coffin. It was the end of him. It was the end of him. Because 
In that obedience was the power to transform the world. God sent us on the assignment. So this is what it says in Matthew 10, verse 1. It says, and when he had called his disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all, kind, all kinds of disease. So I want to say to you, your life is to be laid down in full surrender to the will of the Father. And then you are to understand that he sent you in his authority and his power that has been commissioned to you through the Holy Spirit. And what has he sent you on an assignment to do? To heal the sick. To cast out demons. To set people free. Me? Or us? Us. (laughs) He has filled you with his spirit. And sent you on the mission of bringing heaven to earth. What does it look like when heaven invades earth? It looks like a sick person being made whole. It looks like a family being restored. It looks like a city being set to order. It looks like the glory of God coming into lives where people are broken and disheveled. And God brings them, brings them life. That's what it is. And you've been given that assignment in His authority and His power, family. You. You are powerful in Him. In Christ. It's your assignment. Jesus told His disciples, go and teach them everything I've taught you. Everything I've commanded you to observe, teach them to observe it. Family, we are being taught this morning to observe the practice of laying our hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Raising the dead, casting out demons. That's in the Word. Jump down to verse 7 and 8. It says, in verse 7, it says, As you go, preach, saying, oh, how's this one? Underline that word, preach. You are called to preach. You may not preach from behind this pulpit or any pulpit. I don't know what God's got for you. You may not, but you will preach. You will preach with your life. You will preach from behind your steering wheel in the car. Some great sermons there. Some narrated from hell. The reality is, when Paul writes of us, he says, we are living epistles. You are what to be read. Think about it for a moment. When Paul pens those scriptures, please, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to dishonor with the, with the power of the written word and how that's come to us. When Paul writes that letter, that epistle, there is no Bible like you and I have. They can go to the temple and go read the word of God and there's, there's bits and pieces and fragments of the Bible that are, uh, that are going around or later would be the Bible. But what he's saying to them, he's saying, listen, when you come into a living, loving, restored relationship with the Father through the Son, your life is filled with the power of the Spirit and you go on the assignment of bringing heaven to earth and you all of a sudden become a letter to the world. You become a living epistle. Your life lived out in surrender to the Father. Your life lived out in love. Your love lived out of the heart of the Father to lay your hands on the sick and see people recover. To be a blessing where there is cursing. To go and love the unlovable. All of that becomes a letter to the world that shouts God's love and intent. To do good. To restore. To heal. That's our assignment. It's my assignment and it's your assignment. And he says here, preach saying, Let your life declare the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh my goodness. Let your life, let your life infuse those that are around you with the hope that God has not left us. Listen, if if you are not present in the world preaching with your life, if you're not present, they will think that he is absent. If we're not present in our schools and in your businesses and in our communities, presenting the heart of the Father, the world will think He's not there. They will think that He's absent. 
we owe the world an encounter with God. We owe the world a life of purity and humility. We owe the world a life of surrender. We owe them that because in that we present the Father in a glorious and magnificent way. We owe them that because we choose to lay down our lives in purity and holiness and serve the Father. And we choose to be an encounter with, with the Father wherever we go. That's what we're called to. We're called. There's nobody else in the world whose assignment is to unravel the impossible. you. Verse 8 says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. I think in reading the scripture and meditating on the scripture, I think that's where we come unstuck. That's the place we miss it is that we are not sure and we are not fully convinced and we are not living in the freely we have received. We are not living freely, the free access that has been given to us to live in constant fellowship with the Father, day in and day out. Live in His loving embrace. Live out of His glorious power. Live out of His resurrected life. His life becoming mine. The Bible says in Romans 6, if, you were made, if He was made to look like you in His death, certainly you shall be made. Surely you shall be made to look like Him in His resurrection. And live in the newness of life. That's the reality. Then Jesus says, Jesus says this. He says, if, I don't, if you don't believe me because of the works of the Father, then don't believe me. What would it look like, not my question, some reading I've been doing, what would it look like if the church was bold enough to put everything on the line for that same statement? If you don't see the works of the Father, then that's fine, don't believe. But this is what he sent me to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely you have received, freely give. You owe the world family, not me. You do. We do. We owe the world a life of surrender and purity to the Father, and we owe the world an encounter with Him through us. Yeah. We do. That's the assignment. We, over the years, heard those, those lovely little pithy sayings, hey, like maybe you will be the only Jesus people will meet. It's true. If you are not present, they will think he's absent. The world at the moment is vociferous in its denial of God's existence. The Western world, man, I, you, I have never seen such vile rantings in all my life of people who are, man, you mention God, you see them on YouTube, you see them and, you know, you mention God, they are, they are ready to knock you out. They're ready to to hurl all kinds of obscenities and depravities at you. They just don't care. There is no God. roaming. <laughs> and us Christians sit on our YouTube channels and on our Twitter accounts and we go, whoa, look at these horrible people. And God's saying, whoa, you owe them an encounter with me. You. You're full of my glory, full of my power, full of my son. He came for three and a half years, modeled his life, surrendered his life in a garden, got strung up on a cross. 
so that you and I could live in the power and the wonder of his glory, his resurrected life. No more casual Christianity. No more. I don't mean come to church every Sunday. Wonderful idea, do it. I'm talking about living and being who God created you to be and called you to be in his son. An encounter for the world. That's who Jesus was. When people ran into Jesus, who did they run into? They ran into the Father. You know, the only people who didn't see that were the disciples. Hey, when are you going to show us the Father? Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long? Have I been with you so long and you haven't noticed? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Friend, what would it be like for the world to say, hey, whoa, 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 don't don't worry. You can be upset. You can froth at the mouth. No problem. You don't believe. If, if, If it's not for the works, you don't have to believe me. What would it be like for you to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Do you know what that, that statement did for Philip? He didn't say, no, that can't be true, Jesus. He was like, oh, you're right. You're right. Ran into the Father. Powerful, powerful, powerful reality. Family, you're more than you know. Because you have more than you know. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We hope that it has equipped you and empowered you. If you would like to partner with us, please take notes of our banking details below. And be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our weekly uploads. At Cedar Hill Church, we post our sermons on our YouTube channel every single week. Please feel free to watch any of our sermons and to share it out with your friends and family. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our uploads. We also post information for all of our upcoming events on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Like and follow us so you can stay up to date with what we are doing as a church. Stay connected.